Okay, so Nabe's into a bunch of old anime? Yeah. Uh, gosh, well, uh, he's about 70, and uh, he's mostly a manga reader, but he's, you know, grew up on 70s and 80s anime. Oh, uh-huh. so like what we're going to cover today. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we did our first thing with Urusai Yatsura, and I was like, oh, man, I really do like old 80s anime. Animelon, I think, was the new site that uh, Ben turned us on to. Oh, yeah, with the really cool, like, translations. Animelon. Yeah, and that yeah. one led me, led to another site, Anime Vibe, which has a lot of old stuff. Hmm. So I revisited uh, Bubblegum Crisis. KD Police, Galforce. Uh, that one wasn't as popular, but I really enjoyed it. And then the weirdest one, Fight Iser 1. It's like a, a Western looking superhero character with a lightsaber. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's kind of like a cross between The Thing and Aliens and Terminator and Star Wars. That sounds awesome. In fact, I feel like a lot of these old shows uh, were heavily influenced by. 80s American sci-fi, mm. Mm. but all of them at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Bubblegum crisis is like right. that. Yeah, just, so just to resolve the story, so I'm talking to my stepdad about old school anime and turned to my mom. I said, hey, and I think there's a lot of anime that you would probably like as well. Mm-hmm. And she got really bent out of shape and said, you can't make me watch anything I don't want to watch. And uh, I have suspicions about where that came from. Well, now we got to get your mom on the show. <laughs> Is everything okay with you, Ben, this week? Yeah, nothing too new. Well, you're not wearing a hat today. It's true. As he looks around frantically. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know where it is. You took your hat off, Alex? What you doing? Yeah, I wanted to be part of the game. <laughs> I didn't want you to feel out of place. Men without hats. So before mm. we get into the show, is anybody else into old school anime? Like, or how far do you go back? Like, what's the oldest anime show that you've enjoyed? Me is probably Macross. I think that's the oldest thing. I don't know. There's some weird stuff that I don't know when it was placed. Like, there's an old one called Lensmen or something that I haven't seen in forever. I don't know if it actually exists. I just remember it being at Blockbusters. Uh, but probably, yeah, like Macross. Lensman is on YouTube now. <gasps> Lensman. That's what we're covering next. Uh, <laughs> it's the power of lenses. What about you, Ben? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Bubblegum Crisis. I definitely remember checking that out from Blockbuster. Um, I remember watching that old um, Dog Sherlock Holmes show. I forget if there was like a pun there or something, um, which I believe like Miyazaki was involved in. I think that was one of the things he did. Uh, before Lupin or kind of before doing feature length stuff. I I do remember it being really fucking good. Mm. That sounds familiar, but the only thing that comes to mind is like Galactic Railroad, like cats that ride trains. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, this is just like furry Sherlock Holmes. Oh, okay. The the furry genre? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like anthropomorphic dog world. So was he like solving dog mysteries yeah. or human yeah, mysteries? Yeah. Well, I mean, essentially human mysteries because they like they had hands and stuff, you know, so they're basically humans. Oh, I'll say I was, I was not prepared for the amount of tentacles I saw this week. 
<laughs> in in old school anime. a lot more tentacles in 80s anime than yeah. very popular than we see today. okay it's called sherlock yeah. hound oh and yeah it's directed by miyazaki or co-directed by miyazaki Okay, well, welcome everyone who's listening to Pem Pem Pals. Uh, this is like an in-between episode. Uh, I'm Alex, and as always with me are... Hey, I'm Brian. Hey, it's Ben. And this week, we're going to talk about a really influential anime, especially inside of Japan. It's not as well known outside of Japan, called uh, Uritsai Yatsura, but specifically... We're going to watch the uh, very short-lived British dub of it called Lum the Invader Girl. Aside from the clips that I had shown you guys uh, uh, in our last show, have you guys ever seen Uritsai Yatsura? I've only seen the uh, movie Beautiful Dreamer, Mm. the second Uritsai Yatsura movie. Uh, The most Mamoru Oshii. I'd never seen it, but I think I was uh, familiar with that character, Lum. So she's like a blue-haired human alien who wears like a tiger bikini and and has like horns. Um, So if that's familiar, that is love. (laughs) Yeah. Characters from this show in uh, merchandising and advertisements were kind of ubiquitous in Japan. Maybe not so much anymore, but for a long time. Like, you couldn't get away from it. I mean, there could be an earlier example, but I think Lum is the, at least the earliest example I know of, of the uh, the trope of the manic pixie dream girl. Hmm, interesting. I feel like that must go back for all time. I don't know. I, don't know. <laughs> I, just, I feel like that's just such a trope. There must like, be some, like... like is there one in Greek mythology? Or, yeah, exactly. Something like that. I don't know. So I wasn't familiar with this series, um, but when you were introducing it, I guess the creator, Rumiko Takahashi, uh, she's really prolific and she's done a lot of very popular stuff, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so a little about, about Rumiko Takahashi, uh, the original Urutai Yatsura uh, anime, which roughly translates to uh, Those Obnoxious Aliens, came out in 1978. And it's probably her most celebrated uh, work inside of Japan. Uh, And she herself, Rumiko Takahashi, is known as the queen of manga. Um, She's probably the most prolific female manga writer of all time. So her later works, Rama One Half and Inuyasha, garnered her massive attention outside of Japan, particularly in the U.S. But Urutsai uh, and its iconic foil love interest, uh, Lum the Invader Girl, are are still Rumiko's most widely recognized creations within her home country. Uh, Many ideas and designs from the series were first put to paper in Rumiko's first published work, Kate na Yatsura, or Those Selfish Aliens, which was produced the same year Rumiko began Yuritsai. It was like her first, uh, I think they're called Dojin, or maybe it's Dojin-shi. Yeah, so she's pretty cool. Do you guys know anything else by her? No, I don't. This is very interesting information. Yeah, I was looking at the Wikipedia. They, They list Mason Ikoku, which... I got as a like a manga collection of it at some point. What is that? It's like a boarding house romance, I think. It's kind of like this guy moves into a place and there's a woman there and they have a lot of tension and 
maybe eventually end up together. I forget, but, but mm. it's more of like slice of life. Like I don't think there's any, any super natural element or anything like that in it. So I did not know Urusai Yatsura was by a female creator. That's interesting, but it's a, it's a, a shonen, right? Yeah, uh, uh, technically, like, and I think her other works are considered shonen as well. Uh, okay. I always thought that uh, Inuyasha was for girls because the main character is a girl experiencing, you know, it's a, what's it called, Isekai? Right, right. Where like a one main protagonist is a quote unquote normal person from our reality and they experience this fantasy world uh, in place of us. So everything that's new to us is also new to them. Like I said, I've only seen the the second movie. So when I saw it, I was a teenager and I thought the guy was the main character. Uh, I don't remember his name. Ataru Moroboshi. Uh, yes, he is considered the main character. Oh, is he? He okay. would be the... So like in Inuyasha, it's the schoolgirl. I don't remember her name. But uh-huh. in this, he's the relatively... Even though he has a strong personality, he's the relatively normal person who is confronted with these aliens. Yeah, and I'm glad that you mentioned Beautiful Dreamer. Uh, Beautiful Dreamer being the second uh, uh, like theatrical film release of this uh, is probably the most Mamoru Oshi, and I'm probably mispronouncing his name, but he's one of my favorite uh, directors and writers. But that uh, Beautiful Dreamer is considered uh, by a lot of people their favorite Urutai Yatsura thing because of how original and imaginative it is. Uh, it was actually, supposedly, it's a big influence on uh, Christopher Nolan film. Inception? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Have you have either of you seen Beautiful Dreamer? No, I haven't. Oh, my. It's actually the first anime film I ever saw. Whoa. It's very surreal. Makes a lot of sense to uh, your anime taste now. <laughs> so Mamoru Oshii was born in Tokyo, 1951, uh, at the tail end of Japan's occupation period, and came of age during the economic boom of the late Showa era. He read the Christian Bible frequently in his youth and by several accounts seriously considered seminary school. Fueled by the works of Chris Marker, Federico Fellini, uh, Ingmar Bergman, and other European filmmakers of the time, Oshi mirrored his father's appreciation for cinema. Uh, after graduating university in 1976, Oshi began his first professional work in animation at Tatsunoko Productions, uh, known for Speed Racer, Southern Cross, Genesis Climber Mospita, and uh, even Gotcha Man. Which is kind of the gold standard of science ninja storytelling. Hell yeah. Oshi quickly found his place storyboarding and directing episodes for several series, including Gotcha Man 2 and two series in the wacky time travel world of Time Bokan. Yes! Time Bokan is amazing. In 1980, Oshi joined many co-workers from Tatsunoko uh, to form Pierrot Studios and directed 18 episodes of their premiere series, The Wonderful Adventures of Nils, based on a Swedish novel by author Selma Lagerlof. Uh, now, I mostly know Mamoru Oshi from the iconic films he's written or directed like Ghost in the Shell, Pat Labor, and Jinro, but before he could become an internationally acclaimed filmmaker, he worked on one of the most iconic and highly regarded anime series within Japan, and that's our series today, Urutsai Yatsura. 
um, which he was uh, lead director uh, for like a hundred episodes, I think, which is the first half of the run. And he directed the first two films. I don't remember what the first one is called, but the second one is uh, Beautiful Dreamer. And that one he wrote himself with no input from Rumiko mm. because he did not like working with her on the first film, unfortunately. Wow. I feel like that's something you you actually see in a lot of kind of successful creatives is maybe a job like that where it just like forced them to like crank out a ton of stuff and it gives mm. you know maybe a chance to like experiment and do a bunch of things you know so I wonder if this series was that for him and, and kind of led him to develop the skills that then he used in all of these movies definitely um at the risk of uh, alienating the listening audience, uh, this is for Alex and Ben. These are the action figures for TimeboCon. Whoa! <laughs> so two two Lucy's and one mint in the box. Whoa! Man, one of those looks so familiar. Oh, yeah, the, the lady. Lady in the box? Yeah, probably not because I know it. Probably because there's tons and tons of costumes that look a lot like that. Well, so the uh, the highbrow influences, Fellini and Bergman, uh, that kind of makes sense when I think about beautiful dreamer mm -hmm. i think he's a big fan of no we won't see much of this today but like slow storytelling because like every film i've seen of his there's a lot of stillness between the action yeah so there's one um anecdote the mentioning bergman reminded me of a thing so this is something i came across recently on the internet and it is a letter from akira kurosawa to bergman Please let me congratulate you on your 70th birthday. Your work deeply touches my heart every time I see it, and I've learned a lot from your works and been encouraged by them. I'd like you to stay in good health to create more wonderful movies for us. In Japan, there was a great artist called Tesai Tomioka who lived in the Meiji era, the late 19th century. This artist painted many excellent pictures while he was still young, and when he reached the age of 80, he suddenly started painting pictures which were superior to the previous ones, as if he were in magnificent bloom. Every time I see his paintings, I fully realize that a human is not really capable of creating really good works until he reaches 80. A human is born a baby, becomes a boy, goes through youth, the prime of his life, and finally returns to being a baby before he closes his life. This is, in my opinion, the most ideal way of life. Mm. I believe you would agree that a human becomes capable of producing pure works without any restriction in the days of his second babyhood. I am now 77 years old, and I am convinced that my real work is just beginning. Let us hold out together for the sake of our movies. With warmest regards, Akira Kurosawa. Wow. Thought that was very inspiring. Yeah, great letter writer in, in addition to being a great filmmaker. Yeah, it kind of makes me feel like my most productive days are ahead of me. <laughs> yeah, nice. at least you're most creative. <laughs> so in like 40 years, this podcast will really be hitting its stride. Yeah, <laughs> all right. All right. I mean, we probably would be really good at it. Okay, uh, we can watch and then discuss. Does that sound cool? This is Japan TV on BBC Choice. Very pleased to meet you. I'm here to conquer the earth. Here's my business card. If it's Pikachu, I've got the set. 
Did you say Pikachu? Yeah. They like modernized the references too. Whoa. What are you then? I'm a licensed space taxi driver, aren't I? Space taxi? Yeah, I was driving along thinking of knocking off when I heard you all chanting, so I picked you up. Now, are you lads gonna pay up or what? How much do we owe you? Well, now, let me see. Over there to over here, via the far galaxy and the Neptune gyrosecules. Yeah, that's uh, 3.8 mega credits, roughly equal to the value of all the oil on this planet. <laughs> so, UFOs run on oil? Yeah. <laughs> Oil has now been raining all over the world for a week. Please refrain from smoking, as undiscarded cigarette end could set the earth alight. One moment, please. Hey, you! Put that out! Oh, man. So I really adored it. I thought it might feel a little dated when I, uh, uh, like, started to check it out, because I was like, oh, man, Mama Roshi is involved in this. Uh, but... I don't know. I just think it's the the slapstick uh, uh, aspects of it really still hold yeah. up. I was just gonna say, yeah, it it you know it holds up. Like I want to watch another one now. Like it just started auto playing. <laughs> you know, there's something that's very compelling about it, but the transitions are really weird. Like it just went from them getting married to these boys are obsessed with her and they've tied him up and evidently he can he's the only one that can call for her but like she's not there even though they just got married like i don't oh my gosh i'm so disoriented right now so we just watched two episodes right correct we watched two episodes okay they're 15 minute episodes but they're slated for a half hour block so we just okay. watched yes two episodes which was presented as part one and two of one episode uh, but since neither of you had seen it, does either of you want to try to walk us through and tell us what was happening? Ooh. Um, okay, so aliens are coming to conquer the Earth. Correct. And their tradition is there's one chance of not being conquered, and it's like their champion's going to fight our champion. And it's uh, the princess, the son of, I mean, daughter of the king, who's Lum. Uh-huh. <laughs> And uh, the horniest teenager on Earth, <laughs> Otaru, <laughs> he's got 10 days to grab her horns. <laughs> and uh, he takes her top off. And so she's trying to cover herself and get her top back. And that's how he grabs her horns. Uh, he initially did not want to have anything to do with this until... The girl next door or whatever. <laughs> uh, the girl he has a crush on said that she was going to marry him. And he's like, then we can have sex every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's also, it's like, so, so they establish him as just being like a huge skis ball. Like that's basically yeah. the only thing we know about him as a character. And like, maybe yes, like an angry streak. Cause he kind of like mm. beats up that, uh, monk or whatever and then like evidently <laughs> he's like in love with this girl too <laughs> or she's just maybe she's just the most attainable yeah but but then you know he he wins this battle and he starts saying out loud how he's so excited that now he'll marry his girlfriend and be able to sleep with her and uh lum hears him say that and takes that as him proposing to her. But then like, I don't know, he's not into her. Cause he's in, he I, thinks he's in love with, well, I think he's in love with Shinobu. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah. And then I guess maybe Lum shocks him so he doesn't like Lum. He definitely doesn't like the shocking. Yeah. Oh, so that's the issue. I like guess. he could like potentially be having his perfect marriage of sex every night, which that's not how marriage is. Wow. Uh, <laughs> but he just doesn't want to be electrocuted when he's with Lum. And uh, these boys that are obsessed with Lum, they're they're chanting to summon Lum, but they just summon like a space alien taxi guy. I love that it works, though, don't yeah. you? They're chanting nonsense. And, you know, by the good graces of uh, Rumiko, it works and uh, a spaceship shows up. Uh, I was trying to Google that to see if that was like a reference to something. And this is uh, mm-hmm. this did show up. I know that Jesse Ventura is really into conspiracy theories. Johnson came out, he grabbed her hand and said, after tomorrow, those Kennedy boys will never bother me again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it made me think of like Rick and Morty, how we just don't understand like the rules of alien races and the cab fares millions of dollars. So in exchange, this alien is just going to take all of the world's fossil fuels <laughs> yeah all oil not just like crude oil but like hair gels and cooking oils. oh right 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 my, my favorite part of that was uh the actual alien cab driver while the family is arguing he's in their living room draining their vegetable oil <laughs> like by hand right with a little pump that was amazing yeah so beautiful dreamer is basically the first episode we saw but imagine it directed by fellini oh i do miss um like the psychedelic flair that uh, this show had, uh, like mm. the weird um, contrasting colors, strobing, and it seems like all the sound effects and the soundtrack are all done with like one synthesizer, like an old analog VCS3, oh. like the Doctor Who synthesizer. Whoa. Yeah, I kind of miss that, man. Like modern anime is pretty yeah. slick, but uh, I guess psychedelia, like that influence is just coming off of like the 70s era and maybe not in vogue anymore. Right. A lot of that was coming out of uh, American and European filmmaking, right, at the time. Mm. This is like late 80s, I think. Uh, No, this is is like early 80s. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there must have been a lot of influence there. And to me, it's like uh, this kind of stuff is influenced in the way that American comic books were influenced by like Jim Starlin's work with all that cosmic stuff. And I think it was maybe the proliferation of uh, drug culture. I know we mentioned this a little bit, but... uh, Ben, I think you told me that psilocybin magic mushrooms were legal in Japan until like the 2000s, maybe? Yeah, or at least the 90s, I think. Editor's note. Mushrooms were legal in Japan until 2002. Now the country mourns as they are forced to live without any mushrooms at all. My impression is that it was still a very underground thing. And it was kind of like, you know, the way maybe Mm -hmm. salvia just like slipped under the radar for a while. And you could just Mm. buy this like pretty potent thing at like head shops because like the legislature hadn't gotten around to banning it yet. So my impression is that that was the case for whatever reason with with mushrooms or maybe something because it was a a natural product. But I mean, I guess pot would have been illegal. So. So sad. Well, I just looked up the anime came out in 81, ran to 86. 
the whole world was into like there was an alien craze uh, at the beginning of the uh, the 80s, right? I due in no small part to the success of uh, Alien in 1979. And when when was Star Wars like 77, 78, something like that? 76? Mm, yeah, 76. around then. I guess that's another thing I miss about 80s anime. Everything was so sci-fi cosmic. Uh, even things that started out street level would sort of go to this galactic scale eventually. Yeah. It's kind of weird to think about. It's like uh, anime has uh, got about 50 years of life under its belt now. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds me of comics. Like you can have subcultures within a subculture. So like right now I'm finding myself just really into 80s anime. And that's not at all uh, the same experience of someone who's just into the stuff mm-hmm. that's coming out each season. We'd have very little to talk about. It's kind of like my, my I've, I've got a comic book fun, buddy who's uh, into Silver Age, and I was into Bronze Age, and uh, we do not connect <laughs> no, on, our, on, on our fandoms. yeah. Because uh, if I'm not mistaken, by Silver Age, they'd already had kind of a minor collapse and consolidation of the comic industry, because Bronze Age had like a lot more companies, right? Mm-hmm. So they were making a lot more different stories. But when that consolidation and collapse happened, or the other way around, uh, it became more about, okay, well, we put our money behind our front runners, the Justice League and the X-Men, and everything just became about a much smaller subset of characters. Feels like there's a correlation there, but I can't put my finger on it. Yeah, yeah, whether it's like direct influence or just like the zeitgeist of the art form. This conversation came up when, uh we were covering Evangelion, new grassroots anime studios and studios collapsing and uh, splitting, but also converging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like uh, modern anime is only being put out by just a small handful of studios now. Oh, yeah, because they had a similar, they had a collapse and consolidation in the 90s when the Japanese economy collapsed. Mm. And so that's capital. <laughs> that's like, uh, uh, that's just like loss of interest or loss of the like the economic bubble and speculation around the art form. So how does that affect creativity? Um, gosh, I, f- I sound like a grumpy old man. I mean, there, there is a lot of like very cool anime coming out now. Like, I'll just say that. But I, I do feel sometimes that it's all very uh, derivative. Like there's so many isekais uh, they follow such a familiar formula. I still enjoy them, though. But uh, I'm not seeing anything right now coming out that's like such a wild mix of so many different odd things that you would not expect to be sharing the same space. Well, I may have a show for you. Oh, yeah? I don't know how out there it is because I have only watched two episodes so far because me and Nate are watching it together, hopefully on Mondays now. But uh it's called Wonder Egg Priority. <laughs> I love that title. Right. And it just came out. Like, it's like, I think like 2020, uh, it released. I think it's a small season and it is by some of our favorite people, uh, Studio Cloverworks. Okay. Isn't that somebody we like? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They've got roots in Gynax. Are they They're what? one of the Darling and the Franks. Yeah, uh, didn't A1 Pictures kind of become Cloverworks? 
Oh, I'm sorry. It's separated from A1 Pictures. So it was a subsidiary or it is a subsidiary, but it is no longer a direct part of A1 Pictures. Just just to bring things back to, to Lum for a second, one, one mm-hmm. thing it did remind me of, I haven't watched that much of it, is um, uh, Gintama, which um, I think we've talked about a little bit on this, but that is, it's kind of this um, very prolific, I think there's like 200 episodes, comedy show from like the late 2000s i think mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of like that mix of i think it's actually it's like kind of set in the past of japan but then there are aliens invading and so it's kind of like this mashup of like a bunch of different weird influences and like a world where kind of like anything can happen at any time and uh you know, often just does happen for comedic reasons. It sounds awesome. And that's G-I-N-T-A-M-A. Yeah. yeah so that, that's a weird one because it's like, uh, so aliens come to Earth, but it's modern day, right? But it has samurai in it. I Yeah, I kind of remember it as modern too. So I was just looking that up and it says, here's the summary. It depicts Edo after it had been conquered by the aliens and how it looks after they brought modern-day technology into a samurai country of ages past. Okay. So they, I guess they, they've found a way to put all three <laughs> samurai shit, modern-day shit, and alien shit into one world. Wow. So. <laughs> See, like, this is kind of what I was talking about. Like, I love that kind of, like, mashup of uh, inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This was on my mind because last week I was trying to describe Clonade to somebody. And I was like, it's sort of like Mm. Steel Magnolias meets Donnie Darko. You know, I I liked the show casually, but then after I thought about how it's put together, it's like, oh, my God, that's a fucking awesome show. But, man, I feel like it's harder and harder to find something like that coming out right now. Uh, And again, maybe I'm just getting old and cynical, but I just feel like everything I see coming out just fits into one of five or six different boxes. Do you, I mean, do you feel like you really have like a sense of everything that's coming out or is it, you know, it's just some obscure show now that like, you know, the right people have to watch and then it kind of, you know, maybe five years from now we'll figure out what that show was. I'm, I'm fairly confident. I mean, so you can get on mm-hmm. like my anime list and you can see what's coming out next season, like what are the most popular shows of the season? And then there's a few like YouTubers I'll follow who really go for like the deep cuts. And I feel like okay. two years ago, there was a lot of really like fresh ideas of things happening. But then it's just like, you know, I don't really consume anime by year. It's like more by season. And it just felt like uh, things were just getting more and more homogenized. Cause there was like these bombastic things that are super, super popular, like, like sword art online. When that came out, God, that was so fucking popular. And now all of a sudden there's tons of these isekai mm-hmm. things that follow that template. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, this is fun and that's fun. And they did this little variation. This part is like super dark and rapey or whatever the fuck, like goblin slayer. Uh, but you know, it's very recognizable. Ben, did you have something? Well, I was trying to think of like the most recent thing that I was just like, oh, that's like really cool. And I was looking up Stein's Gate. I guess that was back in 2009. So that's not even that modern. Mm. Do you remember that like <laughs> Hanashi something? 
that I made you watch that one time, Alex, with like the oh my weird, gosh. Wait, creepy, wait, wait. Okay. cute girl. So there's a classroom, right? And there's a mystery in the classroom. And the main character walks into maybe like a different classroom one day, maybe like the former classroom that they had last year. And suddenly he's in another world with this creepy, yeah, like a uh, uh, teenage girl avatar. Like she's obviously not just a regular girl. And she's like, I'm here to test you. You have to figure out what happened on this day and then I'll let you go. And it, like he gets cut off from the rest of reality until he like works through the problem. Yeah, it was wild. And, and just like it's, all the backgrounds are psychedelic for like no reason or like maybe there's a reason, but it's like very mm-hmm. unclear. Uh, I think it's called, it's like this series called I Monogatari, Bakamonogatari. Hmm. Uh, this sounds like a challenge though, Brian. You're like, nothing is coming <laughs> out that will wow me. I'm like, okay, all right. Well, I think Ben well, and I need to vote. Give you a recommendation. I will say Steinsgate is a really fun ride. Uh, In the Mono Guitari series, uh, I've only seen, uh, I think, the first of the three, like, Kizu Mono Guitari movies. One of the most amazing fight scenes I've ever seen, like, a guy gets punched so hard, his face flies off, and it's just like he's just got a skull. (laughs) One of those famous action scene clips. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. What about that clip you showed last episode? That seemed like that was like a pretty modern show. Oh, Fate? Uh, from yeah. Fate Zero? Yeah, how old is that? Uh, Fate Stay Night came out a while ago. I want to say 2004, but I could be wrong about that. Fate Zero, original run 2006. Oh, no, that's light novel. Sorry. Yeah. 2011. Okay. So fairly recent, more recent than Steins Gate. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, the, the first installment of that series, uh, I was right. Um, Stay Night came out in 2006. But uh, just the concept behind the Fate series is actually very, very interesting. Just, mm. just like seven different uh, heroes, like pulled out of different points in history or like fictional characters, rather. But, you know, if I'm being cynical, I could say, well, you know, that's just Battle Royale. <laughs> it's just but video it's cool. games man <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's where it comes from it comes from a video game right 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 and it, it just seems so it does seem quite obvious that it came from a video game right not that that's yeah. a bad thing just a uh, an observation made in abyss uh that was a very original story uh land of the lustrious girls last tour these are a lot of deep cut animes that weren't that popular but Mm. Well, so maybe maybe we just got Wonder Egg priority. That's the that's the one hope for new anime. That's my offering to the uh, Brian, the god of anime. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll say that this is actually kind of a opportunity for a very positive plug. Uh, so I try to make sure I'm always paying for like an anime subscription service, mm-hmm. just because the it's so easy to pirate stream anime, and um, you know it hurts the industry. And I feel like kind of the trickle down effect is if a studio is struggling, there's a really easy, it's a temptation to look at like, oh, well, here's something that's really popular, like Attack on Titan. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, so let's do an Attack on Titan type show. And you can do that. (laughs) And there's a lot of shonens that uh, look a lot like Dragon Ball Z and Naruto and whatever else. High school kid struggling, has to sharpen his skills and level up. And then mm-hmm. eventually the, the whole world is on the line. Yeah, every shonen. <laughs> yeah. 
And then we'll uh, we'll introduce a few characters and make you really love them, and then we'll kill them. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, I took my cynical pills before getting on. I'm so sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. I just don't know where you're going with this. You said it was a plug for oh, something really awesome. Everybody, pay for some kind of animation a subscription oh, service. Okay. <laughs> Crunchyroll, Funimation, High Dive, VRV, whatever. Don't give us any money. Give it to the animation industry. <laughs> I said VRV. Verve. Verve? Yeah. I think that's how you're supposed to say it. I'm going to say VRV. I'm sick of people cutting out all the vowels in something and expecting me to pronounce it the same way. All right. So so let, let me recover myself. So I, I, I shit on modern anime a lot, and I don't want to be that guy. There, there's a lot of great modern anime, and I still feel like anime is so much more worth my time than like American television shows and crap that's coming out on streaming services. Now Mm -hmm. I had very reliable friends tell me that I had to watch the new mortal Kombat movie because it was so good. (laughs) Oh my gosh. And was it? No, it was so awful. Okay. (laughs) And uh, army of the dead. I don't know what that is. It's Zack Snyder's (laughs) new thing. Oh my gosh, Netflix. why are you watching a Zack Snyder film? Because I ran out of 80s anime to watch. I finished Gal Force. <laughs> I finished Bubblegum Crisis. And, and the next logical step from that is a Zack Snyder film. Zack, well, it's just one click away. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I, I, there, there's a lot of Zack Snyder apologists out there. So. Oh, cool. I would love to debate any of them. No, never mind. I'm, I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> Uh, well, Ben is suspiciously quiet all of a sudden. Which ones did he do again? That's <laughs> oh like, how, I don't know. I, I kind of like, I don't really do much, much superhero stuff. Good. The golden age of it or the age that everyone was super excited about. It is dying. Superheroes are part of the popular culture. Everyone's into them to some degree. But now we are coming into like the 80s of in the comic book industry is happening now for superheroes in film and television. We're coming into a dark era, a deconstructionist period. Yeah, I was just going to say, I do like the stuff that's that I think is like, yeah, maybe more like their reaction to this stuff, like um, the boys and mm. um, the new Watchmen series and, and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Invincible. I think that fits in there. Yeah, definitely. I know that one. Okay, so that that's kind of interesting. Um, so you got me thinking about like sci-fi, right? So 80s sci-fi, there was a lot of experimentation, uh, a lot of ambitious work, a lot of writers and directors with a vision and some like landmark stuff came out. And then I feel like anime is the same way. Yeah, that's all art under, not necessarily a capitalist production method, but it's all art under a profit-based production method. Mm -hmm. Because yes, there's investment in talented young creators who try new things, and the thing that gets popular siphons funding from other things that other creative projects. So the one thing that becomes popular, Star Wars or terminator or whatever it sets the benchmark and now 30 other studios are saying we're making our own star wars we're making our own terminator and so that's when you get the flood of all the same thing over and over because that's what that production method tells that's what like consumer um what do you call it uh like polling tells the industry that that's what the public wants they want Mm -hmm. the same thing over again but different And so all of that, 
uh, stuff, like it proliferates. Now it's everywhere. Now people slowly lose interest in it. Uh, and the everything, like all forward progress in the, the medium, it stagnates. And until there's another collapse or something, you won't get uh, as many revolutionary works. Well, I mean, this is very familiar to me. So, like, it seems like every genre of fandom goes through these uh, stages in its life cycle, right? You have this mm -hmm. innovation, and then you have, like, revision and iteration. Then you have, what you say, like, deconstruction. And then I think, mm -hmm. like, self-parody at some point. Yeah, I mean, and I guess maybe as a if you're a creative person right then then kind of like the market is a constraint right so it's kind of like like you try to find a way within this system to like make the thing that you want to make right and whether that's like transposing the story you want to do into the genre that they want you to make it in or or add in you know like boobs or whatever because like, they're like this is what sells right but but maybe you do also hit a point where you know so say like someone who might have originally done manga once like anime becomes a thing they're like okay i want to make anime but you know maybe if mm -hmm. the anime studio system gets shitty enough you know maybe that same creator goes back to making manga or they're like, fuck it. I'm just like writing a book or, you know, like, like I feel like there could be something like that where that medium. Yeah. Really gets dry because like it just becomes untenable for dumb market reasons or something. Exactly. Market reasons. It's like that. This is the reason why there's a, such a thing as this life cycle, right? Because there's something that hits big. And that becomes the safe investment. And let's mm -hmm. do a lot of things like that. I hope that there's still then kind of like, you know, as much as I don't really believe in like auteurs and like, you know, I think this stuff is so collaborative that you hope mm -hmm. at least with the funding though, that it's kind of like, well, this person made this really successful thing in the past. So like, even though they want to do something that sounds weird, we're going to like trust them because like, they seem to know what they're doing, right? And I think that's part of why you do kind of get these images of auteurs is actually just maybe that's like the big name that can green light the crazy ambitious project that then mm -hmm. the talented people all want to jump on and, and make as good as possible. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and those auteurs, if they exist, like they, you know, it may seem like they get to do what they want and tell the story that they want on like a macro level, but like their relationship with their funders, their studio or whatever, is usually very contentious. Like Christopher Nolan, right? People really like his stuff. And he has some pretty specific themes that he keeps revisiting in his films over and over again, like time and memory and things like that. But he, like even someone like him, and he's, you know, one of those big names you'd think, oh, he can make whatever movie you want. But he had to make Batman. Like he had to agree with the studio to make three Batman movies so that he could make the movies he wanted to make. But yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And yeah. then... Uh, we hope that the, that auteur is a benevolent, uh, not boss, but like collaborator, like you said. Like, I, I agree with you. Like, I, I believe there are directors or writers who have a vision, but because of the collaborative process involved in uh, like maybe manga or writing a book, you can get away with it. But movies and television, yeah. there's just so many people 
Yeah. And so you hope they bring a lot of people along with them. Yeah. Too. There's like a lot of those big directors and I think especially maybe people that do smaller projects like documentaries. It's like the documentary never pays for itself. And then they do like Mm -hmm. Burger King commercials in between their projects (laughs) to like make money. And you're just like, I don't know. It's just kind of like surprising that that's like the system that we came up with. (laughs) (laughs) How to fund stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm really conflicted now. Why? As you were talking, uh, two names came to mind, uh, Satoshi Kon and uh, Nishigori. So Kon, his movies are amazing. They're, they're groundbreaking mm-hmm. and so mind-bogglingly original. And I suppose he cut his teeth doing like the grind on other anime studios. But what I've seen of his early work was very impressive. Yeah. So, I mean, there's an obvious reason to love him. Uh, but then there's Nishigori who directed Darling in the Franks. Mm. <laughs> and it's it's not a super original story. It's bits and pieces of so many things that came before it. Um, well, isn't everything? <laughs> yeah. So th- this is this is what gets me, right? Uh, there's a, I don't know if it's a short film or a documentary. It's called Everything is a Remix. Have you guys ever, ever heard of that? Mm-mm. The guy who did it sounds like a made up name. Um, Kirby Ferguson. <laughs> Sounds like a name I would make up on the spot. But uh, it's like, yeah. I mean, the idea is like, there's nothing original. Like everything that we'd point to as an original story, it's actually just, you know, the bits and pieces of its influences that come together in a new way. And uh, the whole mm-hmm. point is that um, the way we tell a story, like how things are remixed mm-hmm. is what contributes to like great art or great entertainment. And that's why I'm so into 80s anime right now. <laughs> it's so fucking weird. Yeah. I see that the elements of its influences, but they're so not what I would put together in the same pot. It's great. Sometimes cheese and peanut butter in a sandwich works. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'll have to take your word for it. All right. I think that might be the new to it. end on. <laughs> I think so. Cheese and peanut end, butter. And with that taste in the rinse mouth. Pen. Pen. Pals. Ataru. Ataru.